episode 375, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Welcome to Level 7, a podcast about Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's a magical place. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Welcome to Level 7. It's me, Ben, Ben Avery, and I am here with my friends, both my friends. It's not just you, Samantha. It's you and Stuart. Oh, boy. Stuart, hi. <laughs> hi. <laughs> not so not that I mind recording. Back. Yeah. No, <laughs> it's, it's life, guys. It's life. That's yeah. all it is. And that's where it actually gets a little bit easier when we have three because it does yeah. mean we can keep things moving somewhat. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, but we are here because Moon Knight is done <gasps> and a movie has come out. It's a movie <laughs> episode. Yay! Yay! With our original music by J.S. Earls, my good buddy, who yeah. is actually one of the co-creators over at Supersonic Pod Comics. But he and I came up in the comic scene together, working for some of the same publishers back almost 20 years ago so that's that's my connection with him and he happens to be a musician as well so i've always loved that music and i mean it's been with us since the beginning and i love when we get to come back to the movies and other general topics and be able to use that music so yeah yeah but here we are to talk about dr strange and the multiverse of madness the first legitimate i would say horror styled movie of the MCU. There's been some scary stuff. Don't get me wrong. And Morbius, I guess is kind of MCU in the sense of MCU multiverse. And that's horror themed. And and Venom has a little bit of that going on too, but it's more of horror comedy, but yeah, yeah, here we are. And if you're going to do horror, you know, you bring in the king of horror. Yeah, Scott Derrickson. Who was an EP on it? He was, but I'm not sure how much actual input he had. I'm really curious how that all how that all worked out. Because he was going to direct this movie. And right. and then there were creative differences, but everyone was, you know, everyone left together and everyone's happy about how it all ended up because that's Hollywood and that's how you you spin things. But I don't know exactly what went on there. And there might be some people out there who do. We've got it covered, might have it. They might know exactly what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> but that was, but we that was very good. Maybe, <laughs> maybe we got it covered in an alternate universe knows exactly what's going on. <laughs> what I do know is I feel like Scott Derrickson left a really strong impression on on Doctor Strange the the first one and I really really liked that movie but when they said Sam Raimi was taking it over well who's Sam Raimi but the director of Evil Dead the director of Drag Me to Hell the director of The Straight Story I mean these are horrifying movies that don't forget Spider-Man don't forget a perfect game oh, the perfect game yeah I, that's my favorite Sam Raimi movie I have not seen that Spider-Man 1, 2, and 3. 
And also the Spider-Man movies that he directed, there were definitely scenes that were clearly horror inspired. I mean, the scene where Doc Ock is being rushed to the ER and the ER doctors try to, to do surgery on him. That's horror. Like, yeah, yeah. Through There's through. body horror in those movies. There's references yeah. to like Frankenstein and other like classic stuff. There's, yeah. I mean, a, a director brings their vision. You know, and that's hopefully what you're getting. I know people complain about the MCU that it's bland, and and that you know a director <laughs> can't have their vision or their voice. I don't think that's true. I, I really don't. Especially when you look at a movie like Guardians of the Galaxy, or look at a movie like like this, which we just watched, or even the first Doctor Strange. Uh, a director is able to bring its voice, but then you have Ant Man, where Edgar Wright was involved in that, and then not involved in that anymore, <laughs> and and you have this movie here where it was going to be Scott Derrickson, but whatever the reason is, good or bad, he, he's out and Sam Raimi's in. But I definitely feel like I was watching a Sam Raimi movie. Oh, oh don't yeah. forget Darkman. Yeah. Don't forget oh, yeah. <laughs> Darkman. How can you forget Darkman? I almost did, but then I didn't. That's why I said it. And I honestly, Darkman... <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. I I unironically like Darkman. There is so much good stuff to that movie, from Liam Neeson to Danny Elfman, who also did the music for this movie, to just the the tone of things and and the just the offbeat weirdness of it. But then it's like this offbeat weird movie that ends up having these giant superhero moments where a guy is swinging from a helicopter in the middle of the city and. There's there's good stuff to it. Now the sequels, uh, we can forget about them, but they weren't Sam Raimi. But I think I might have told the story before. I'm not sure, but uh, one of the sequels, I was, I rented it. I'm sitting on my couch watching it, and just bored out of my mind, and I absentmindedly just reached over for the remote control and started trying to change the channel <laughs> on this DVD because I was just. I was just done with the movie and I was, I just lost track of the fact that, no, I can't change the channel. Was that the sequel to Darkman? Yeah. I can't remember if it was die, Darkman, die, or if it was the other one. I don't remember which, what the, the title was, but moving on from Darkman to Sam Raimi. So I think that one of the things we should talk about, we could probably do the quadrant here, but one of the things definitely is style. This, the style of this movie. Uh, we need to also talk about just the MCU connections of this movie because those are some big topics there. And and then obviously the story arcs of the characters who are involved in this movie. So do you want to do our quick non-spoiler review and then we can play the organ and get right to it? Yeah, yeah, let's, let's do that. Uh, also theater experience. I've seen the movie twice now already. Uh, because Thursday afternoon I was going like, there's no way I was going to not go Thursday <laughs> afternoon, but my wife wasn't home and my youngest wasn't going to go see this movie based on what I knew about the horror elements. I knew it was the kind of thing that he probably wouldn't be able to handle. And especially going into a theater where it's dark and, and not the safest of places, uh, as far as, you know, mentally for him. So. I told my other kids, you're all staying home because <laughs> someone's got to stay home and it ain't going to be me. So <laughs> my middle daughter, she's like, well, you could take me, daddy. And I was like, yeah, I could. 
but that's not fair to the others. So I went by myself <laughs> Thursday afternoon. Uh, theater was not full, uh, but I do have a new strategy. I used to take f- middle, center, halfway up the incline, perfect seat. These days, I take the second seat in on the row. So I'm way over to the side, but I take the second seat in because unless it's a packed theater, nobody is going to take that seat between me and the aisle. And so I'm guaranteed to at least have one spot between me and people. So that's that's my new strategy. And then I took the kids on, on Sunday and we all went together. And again, it was not a, a very full theater, but I hear that it's on it's it's on track for some some good money so i i think i read that it's like the number one movie in america right now or something like that which i'd be surprised if it wasn't right based on the fact that it's a marvel movie alone i have to ask a billion years ago you used to go to the movies and there was this couple have you ever seen them since no, no, this, yeah, the, the couple that I saw every single time and yeah, changed in yeah. age and who also changed sometimes in even ethnicity. Yeah, they, <laughs> I just haven't seen them. I haven't been looking for them though. You know, it's the kind of thing like when you buy a red car, all you see are red cars, <laughs> you know, and, and when you're, when you're looking for something, if you follow me on Instagram, where I post pictures of lost toys on the ground, which is kind of a silly thing, but I do it and I hope people don't hate me for it. But I see, <laughs> I see toys on the ground all the time to the point where I want to start posting one a week again. And in the last two weeks on my walks, I found four of them and I'm just, I'm holding back. I'm taking pictures, but I'm holding back and not flooding my Facebook and Instagram feed with that. But yeah, it was funny though. Cause I used to go to those, Sunday night showings and stuff like that, where there weren't a lot of people in the theater, but there was always a couple in the theater with me, no matter what. And there were a handful of movies where it was, yeah, me and that couple. And that was it. <laughs> I, I remember that. So our theater experience was pretty normal. I mean, we're COVID's gone. We're not in the, we're not masked or anything like that up here. Uh, it was fairly packed. One thing was weird. We said we're going to go to the four o'clock show, so we get there about three fifty because we've been going to the movies for a long time. And uh, we get inside, you know, buy the thing, get the no popcorn, um, but get the drinks and the whatever, and sit down. And right as we sit down, the Avatar trailer is already playing. And it goes right into the Marvel logo. So, like, we didn't get any credit. We didn't get any trailers or anything like that. And it was 3.58. So, the movie started right at 4 o'clock. So, I'm not sure. Yeah. So, I'm not sure if that was a value-added bonus or if I lost out on seeing Thor the Love and Thunder on the big screen. Can't decide. I would say both. (laughs) (laughs) yeah they definitely had that thor love and thunder teaser on the big screen and and that was it it was not the full trailer like i thought there was going to be a full trailer and instead it was the full teaser and so i i find that fascinating that they have not gone full trailer on us yet they can keep that that number growing (laughs) 
Right. Or the, dwindling. <laughs> the record of the shortest amount of time between trailer and movie for any Marvel movie is being held right now by Thor Love and Thunder because, well, once they hit a point where they beat the record, every day is going to be you know, growing that record or shortening the record. I guess they're shortening yeah. the record, not growing it. Yeah. Speaking of trailers, I was grateful that there were trailers before my movie because I had a little bit of a delay. So I usually go more of a straight route to get to my theater. It's almost like a direct line. There's a few turns, but it's almost a direct line. Well, along this way is a school. <laughs> and I started driving. I was it, it takes me about 10 minutes to get to the theater I left my house about 15 minutes before, and I get to that road where there's the school, and I'm like, oh, I can't turn left when I need to turn left, because there's a long line of cars. So I had to turn right and kind of go around town, and I got there at 4.01. It was a 4 o'clock show, and I sat down, and I was like, whew, I didn't miss anything, except for maybe the let's go to the movies ad. And there were about 30 other people there, and I know that they were all Marvel fans, because when the credits started rolling, no one, you know, twitched or even tried to get up or readjust or anything. Everybody sat, and they were waiting for all of the after-credit scenes. Yeah, I've gotten to a point where I don't say anything anymore. We went to Shang-Chi, and we're sitting there, and people start getting up, and I was just like, there's more parts to the movie, there's more to the movie! And... I felt like an idiot because I'm talking to these strangers. Like, there's more. There's more. Sit down. They don't know if I'm talking to them. I don't know if they even heard me. I don't know. But I don't do it anymore. The MC who's been going on for how long? 12 years now? 12 something years, like yeah. That? 12, 13, yeah. So, like, if they haven't gotten it by now, they don't want it. <laughs> that's, that's just what it is. They don't want to know that there's... A really funny teaser at the end of this movie. Or a trailer for the next movie. They don't want to know that. That said, I mean, I almost took my kids out after the first post-credit. Almost. But there are two post-credits. If you haven't seen it before, there are two post-credits. So, Our spoiler policy is that we will spoil this movie completely after we play the spoiler organ. And so... We are still talking about it without spoiling it. So I throw this over to you to general impressions. What are your general impressions for this movie? And actually, before you do, I'm going to share Evan, uh, who has been on this podcast before. He's my co-host over in Strangers and Aliens. His general impression of this movie is something I saw other people post things like this, but he hated it. Hated it. And I've seen other people saying this online. So, yeah. Samantha. Yes. General impressions. General impressions. I liked it. I was slightly disappointed in the story, and I will get into that later. But overall, I did enjoy myself in the theater. All right. Stuart. Okay. I liked it more than I liked Thor The Dark World. Which, if you've been listening to the show as long <laughs> as I've been on it, you know that's not high praise from me. 
So Evan and I, we see eye to eye on this one. There's one scene I really liked. We'll get into it. Other than that, I was kind of nonplussed on it. It wasn't good. It wasn't bad. It just was Which is why I wanted to make sure we had you on for this episode because uh, instead of uh, Moon Knight, because it's nice to have some dissenting opinion. With that said, though, this is not my favorite MCU movie. I do have it ranked fairly high because I loved things about the style of the movie and I enjoyed the story. I had problems with the story that we will talk about here, <laughs> but uh, all things considered, I did I did like this movie quite a bit. And with that, though, I also recognize this movie is not for everyone. It is it doesn't just dip its toes into horror elements. Ultimately, it is okay, I gotta be careful how I say this so it's not a spoiler. I'll just say ultimately it is a horror movie. You know, there's yeah, I uh, mean, scary it, elements. A there are horror, horror right. movie. Yeah, there are scary I, elements. There are thematic things going on that are just off kilter, and there are uh, character choices and actions that cause harm to other people in a less than comic book action movie violent way like there's some pretty horrific violence in this in a pg-13 sense so it's bloodless but gross and if you've seen evil dead if you've seen evil dead 2 if you've seen army of darkness you know dark man (laughs) i mean but really i guess i was trying to make fun of dark man and it didn't work no you know sam raimi and you know what he can do and you know what he's capable of and so I think whereas Spider-Man was more a traditional comic book movie with horror elements thrown in, this is probably more a traditional horror movie with comic book elements thrown in. And that's not my cup of tea. Although I love Evil Dead and I love the Army of Darkness. This is my boomstick. I like, come on. How can you not love that? I just, it, I was uh, on this one. That's all I'm saying. So what you're saying is shop smart, shop safe smart. Yes, that is exactly what I was saying. <laughs> we'll we'll talk about specifics of it, but there's there's some things where it's just the plot has yeah, the story itself carries these elements. It's not like yeah, with Spider-Man, there's some body horror and but mostly it's about like a kid who doesn't quite learn how to fly, but close to it. You know, and he's enjoying life and then he's navigating high school and all that kind of stuff. This is people who are put in very, very great danger and bad guys who are trying to do awful things. Yeah. People. Yeah. Yeah. Ready to roll that beautiful organ. I think so. Let's see here. Okay. I'm going to play the spoiler music, and after I play the spoiler music, that will mean it is time for us to talk about this movie freely. Are you ready? Yes. Here we go. 
Spoilers. 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 So in our, I want to make a prediction. In our private chat, we have all said that we have some issues with this movie. And yeah. I'm going to guess we all have the same issue. I'm not 100% sure, but I'm, I have a feeling. I have a feeling we have the same issue. All right. And that issue is Wanda experiences many of the same things she went through on WandaVision all over again. Yeah, that's definitely one of my issues. Yeah, that's that's my big issue. I actually have of all of the of the many things I have issues with this movie, I actually was able to reconnoit that in my brain. And if you'd like, I'll tell you how I did it. But that is not my issue. Okay. What is your issue? My issue is I thought we were Marvel Universe 19 no, 199,999, not 616, but whatever. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about that real quick. <laughs> yeah, I was confused by that. So, 19,999, 19,999, that is a number that was never officially on right. screen set. That's what I was going to ask. Yeah, yeah. Now, the 616 number is... I don't know if you guys know the history of of where that number comes from, but it actually comes from a Captain Britain comic, which is a character who I I really, really love from his Excalibur days. But before he was a part of Excalibur, he was a Marvel UK only character, and he showed up in Marvel Team Up every once in a while or something like that. Alan Moore wrote the comic, I believe, and he was taught uh, there was a multiverse going on there. And the Marvel that Captain Britain came from, from the storyline, which was the proper Marvel Comics universe, was given the designation 616. And then people who knew obscure history about Marvel would use that in their in their stories. And so that did become the official designation of the proper Marvel universe. Other Marvel universes had other numbers. The 191999 uh, number comes from something to do with the date. I don't know how it works, but yeah, it's not an official thing. And I couldn't find the only thing I could find on it was that the Marvel fan-based wiki, the MCU wiki designated it and I couldn't find a source on it. So like I get that it's my own sort of headcanon thing going on. I, I com comprehend that, but it threw me out of the movie. I'm pretty sure it came from a book. That's what I was thinking. I'm pretty sure it came from like a source book. But it, again, that's not official. You know, that's not on screen. So it's not canon until they actually put it on mm. screen or in an official you know book or something like that. And, and they haven't done that yet. And so you have, however... I believe Mysterio called the earth that he, that we're in, in the, in the MCU proper. I believe he called it 616 and he said he came from the universe 835 or something like that. So it was kind of close to 838. But what I find interesting about this is that the comics universe calls itself 616 and 19999 as a designation 
made it so that they could exist in a multiverse together. But since they are both 616, we're talking about two different multiverses. And I find that interesting. Does it mean anything? No. <laughs> we already knew this. You know? <laughs> and any any official comic book that they've done hasn't had any like multiverse ties to the real comic book universe or however you want to call that. But Till America starts flipping through universes and then we see a paint universe and a CGI universe and an ink universe. And it makes me wonder. But if anything, I feel like that ties itself more into the into the Spider-Verse. Where yeah. you you have the one universe that they pass through and, and like some funny cartoon organ music starts playing. That feels like Spider-Ham. Yeah. Maybe not, but Yeah. But I felt like the paint universe was a reference to the 1990s animated series, anything Marvel. So like the the X-Men, Spider-Man, etc. Yeah, although the paint universe was like it was glops of paint. <laughs> like that was <laughs> really cool. That was really neat. Yes, that was a cool visual. So anyway, that was my that was my problem. Samantha. Yes. That does not confirm your theory. I apologize. It, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I had a couple problems, but your your theory, mine is definitely one of those is definitely the one that you brought up. So, though it, it is suspicious that Mysterio got the number right, <laughs> or it's just a coincidence, but. I going back to Wanda and her revisiting her issues with wanting to be with her family. I fortunately have spent the past few days thinking about it seriously. And I was like, well, if you think about the dark hold as being like a drug, like we have seen before on agents of shield drugs can force people to revert and and continue to deal with issues that they may have tried to res- or may have resolved in the in the past. She f- she fell off the wagon. She fell off the wagon basically. Yeah. But the big difference here is that in WandaVision, the moment she realized that her spell was hurting people, she gave up her family to save the the whole town of Westview. But here she was killing people left and right trying to get to another universe that had her children. Yeah, yeah. And that's the problem I had is that the heel turn that you have here for her is yeah. significant. Now, in my head, as I'm trying to work through it, the Darkhold also figures into that. But the Darkhold is, is more sinister than just a drug because it like possesses you, you know, and it causes the darkness. You know, I think that the, the Darkhold can be used to explain anything. I just feel like they did a disservice to the character development that they had already done in WandaVision, except for a couple things. One is the end of WandaVision shows her sitting in a regular scene in the home. And then you see that that's an illusion and she's flapping the pages of the dark hold. And so she is exploring the dark hold and she is allowing the darkness of the dark hold to take hold. She's not necessarily yeah. giving tacit permission, but she, by exploring it, 
she's what what I, I I've heard someone call this fringing where you may not be actually doing the thing that's wrong, but you're circling the thing that you know to be wrong. And as you circle the thing that you know to be wrong, you're allowing yourself to get pulled into its gravitational pull. And the next thing you know, whatever this thing is, whether it's it's drugs or alcohol or you know giving in to anger or whatever it might be, or yeah, infidelities, that's a huge one. Yeah. Yeah. Where yeah. You know, you just allow yourself to circle around it until you find yourself in its pull. And it's not that it did anything. You were coming to it, you know. And so Mm -hmm. it just it puts a darker spin on that post credit. But I have a feeling that that's the reason the post credit was there is to prepare us for this turn but you're right samantha she is killing people she is murdering people who don't even stand in her way there's a guy on the ground at the the place where they're the, the castle i can't remember what they call it but the where dr strange is yeah yeah there's a guy on the ground who's just struggling to get to his elbows and he's kind of crawling a little bit and he's just groaning and she fries him and kills him as she walks by. And a villain would say, it's an act of mercy. And I was thinking about that, and I thought I saw Hera do that in... Her name was Hera, right? Kate Blanchett in... Um... Hela. 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 Yeah, so I thought I saw Hela do that in, you know, the, the last Thor movie. So... I guess where the disconnect is, and also it's pretty fascinating, is that Wanda Maximoff slash the Scarlet Witch, which we also got the name drop, is a character who sort of floats back and forth between hero and villain. And that's really interesting and and not something that's super explored all the time. So I dug that. Yeah. I look at this and I'm disappointed because of the character development we'd already seen on the flip side. Right. On the flip side, I feel like it's, first of all, a bold choice to have her literally turn into Thanos. I mean, she's not killing half the universe, but she's destroying everything in her path so she can get this thing that she desires, which is those the children. That I find it fascinating that they chose to do that. And I do think... Story-wise, it works. It fits. Do I like it? No, but I don't like it in the best way possible. I don't like it because this is a character that I do like. And I was going along her journey of hope and her journey of healing. And instead, and this happens in real life, you have people who, yeah, they've they've turned away. Just like you're talking about with drugs. Instead, she's turned her back on it and has chosen to become, and we have a word for people like her here on the podcast, and that word is a murdering murderer who murders. Yeah. And it's hard to come back from that. Yeah. I forget, how does this movie leave her? She gets destroyed, potentially, when she destroys Wundagar. I think that's what how you say it. It's uh when she destroys her castle thing. Okay, yeah, oh, the t- she, the, uh, she brings the castle. Temple. Okay, so that means yeah. what we'll do is with the next time we want um, 
dead actress. I can't remember her name. Elizabeth right Olsen. Elizabeth Olsen back. We'll just grab her from another alternate universe. Got you it. can, but honestly, there's no body. And when there's no hey. body, no All body. All I'm saying is no death. Zombies sit well. Zombies sit well. It's always it's a, a possibility. Joke. It's always it's a possibility, Stuart. It'll never Checks happen, out. but it's always a possibility. <laughs> hey. Well, I was going to say Swamp Thing, but the chances of us getting a Swamp Thing increase daily. Man Thing. Sorry, not Swamp Thing. Yeah, we already got a Swamp Thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of Swamp Thing, did you notice the, uh, the I guess, Guardians at that at that Scarlet Witch Temple? Yeah, yeah, they have a little bit of design element to them with the mouth and things, but yeah. and I looked hard. I was definitely looking hard to see like is are they is it? It's not. They weren't. Well, they were definitely in mountains and they look like they were sort of like they had the skin of mountain trolls, but they were in the mountains and like a swamp in Florida. So if they were in Florida, they would look a little bit more Mossy. <laughs> sure. I appreciate you trying to keep my hopes up. But <laughs> at the same time, we already have some possibilities coming up around Halloween. We will see. We <laughs> will see. To me, they looked like Cthulhu's. I realize it's one Cthulhu, but whatever. It looks like a, a Cthulhu thing. Yeah. But I kind of lump all of that together. So let's, okay, we all said stuff we hate. Let's say stuff we like. Well, and that's not like, like I said, it's not even necessarily stuff that I hate. It just, uh, yeah. Let's talk about, okay. Let's talk about the, the elephant in the room. The, the big, big thing that we were all wondering about. And that is the dark hole is just a copy. And so that means that the dark hole from agents of shield does not negate the dark hold here. That's what everyone's talking about when they're talking about this movie. And yes, right. That is what everyone's talking about, Ben, but we already knew that here on this podcast. We already knew that on this. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. So, so we're much. not surprised, well, but they put on screen a very easy explanation. Yes. That the dark hold itself was a copy and there could be, if there's one copy, why not two? I'm just saying. Why not three? Not Why not a thousand? And if it is magic, why can't it just change its look a little bit? But Yeah. Why not one for every planet? <laughs> well, it seems like there is a dark hold for every planet, but just one book of Ashanti. And that's yeah. kind of in between all the universes. Right. <laughs> Which, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it made for great visuals. That It did it, make for cool visuals it did it did yeah <laughs> no let's talk about the big cameos that happened here earth 838 when you arrive there we find out there is another doctor strange okay we find That's out cool. that there is not another america as no. far as she knows from the 73 universes she's been to plus from her own experience of not dreaming there is not another one of her anywhere in the multiverse, which I'm going to say that if 
I love that. I love that yeah. because that reigns back in this idea of uniqueness, right? There can only be this one actress playing America. I mean, until they have to recast for whatever reason or whatever, right? But, like, there's only this one character. So we don't have to deal with, well, is it canon or is it in canon? It's just one. There's another Christine. And she also had trouble with with Doctor Strange. And we find out on every universe, there's trouble between the two of them. Something happens. still not my night nurse. (laughs) She doesn't have to be. Uh, and she mentions she's part of the Baxter Institute. What? <gasps> they said the thing. Yeah, Wait, I heard that. I was a, like, what? That's related to the Fantastic Four. And then I'm wondering, oh, are they going to bring in, like they said, we've heard rumors. And of course, the rumors, some of them were true. We see Reed Richards. We see Captain Marvel, who is actually, uh, I can't remember. Yeah. Maria Maria Rambeau. Rambeau. Yeah. Monica's mom. Yeah. Are we going to mention who played Reed Richards now or later? Yeah. We're we're getting there. We're getting there. We see, we see Captain Carter. Yes. Yes. (laughs) I, this was my favorite part. Anyway, go ahead. There was applause in my theater for, for her introduction. We didn't just see her; we saw her in action, and so that's where. Yes. Yes. Uh, and we'll talk about the end of the action, but um, <laughs> we see Black Bolt. Yes. Played <laughs> by Anson Mount. I was yes. the only one From who screamed the- in the theater for that. <laughs> I was the only one. <laughs> I. Uh, <laughs> I was sitting there ma- trying very hard to to suspend my disbelief to be like, oh, is that him? I don't know for sure. I don't know for sure, but I'm really hoping it is. And then we IMDb it on the way home and it's uncredited. So I'm, yes. Stuart, really cool. I had to hold my tongue about so many <laughs> things with you on Thursday because I couldn't talk about Doctor Strange. I couldn't talk about Picard season two finale, and I couldn't talk about Strange New Worlds season opener, series opener. But on Thursday morning, I woke up, found <laughs> you got time. So much. <laughs> found Should time I put throughout my the morning. Down for a minute. <laughs> no, no, you don't need to. Found okay. time throughout the morning to watch Picard season two series or season finale. And it's Patrick Stewart playing a Star Trek captain. And then partly during the morning and partly a little bit in the afternoon, I was able to watch Strange New Worlds, which features Captain Pike, played by who? Anson Anson Mount. Being a Star Trek captain. Then I go to the movies and I'm sitting there and the next thing I know, I've got those same two guys mm-hmm. in the same scene playing a Marvel character that we maybe thought we'd never see them play again. <laughs> but there they are. Yes. And it was glorious. On May the 4th, Star Trek Day. Yeah. 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 It it was like, that was really cool. So here's what I got. 
Anson Mount played Black Bolt, who was, what, King of the Inhumans? Something like yes. that? Yep. And Inhumans were featured predominantly on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. So it helps, but this is also an alternate universe Black Bolt. Nonetheless. Well, that's the thing about all of these characters. They are all from this 838 universe. I believe this is the first time we've seen any of these variants. Yeah. But what's nice about the whole thing, so let me talk about what's nice, and then I'll talk about what's bad, and then we can geek out more, okay? What's nice about it is these characters come with baggage. We have history with them, all of them. Mm -hmm. And even though we've not spent time with them in this universe telling their stories, which we're going to hear about, we have an instant connection to these characters, not as deep as Toby Maguire and Andrew Garfield, but it's there. Yeah. That's nice. What's bad is they all die horrifically. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. And as only Sam Raimi could. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they are all killed in the most horrific way possible based on their powers. And Scarlet Witch does it. So she's fighting robots. But then she and well, she's killed people at the at the fortress, but she comes through, chops Captain Carter in half with her shield. Yeah. Oh, my God. Stretches, stretches Reed Richards to death, yeah. seals Black Bolt's mouth. So when he speaks a little bit of surprise and it blows his head up from the inside, yeah. uh, crushes Captain Marvel and and then kills psychically kills professor x by snapping his head and snapping his neck which causes him to die in that same way in real life well shall we also talk about professor x's um wheelchair and the music cue and the music cue yes that was directly from the 92 animated series Although it wasn't credited from the 92 animated series, it's credited as from X-Men 97, which is the name of the new animated series that's supposed to be an extension of X-Men 92. Yeah, but the design of the wheelchair was definitely from the 92 series. I mean, Ben, I sent you a gif, like, as soon as it got out of the theater of him sitting in that wheelchair. It's gif. Yes. Gif. Jif. Gif. No. Here, it's okay. GIF. Here, I thought you were going to be offended that she didn't send it to you, but no. That's not what offends you. I seem to no. recall the last time we had this conversation that it was the other way around, but I could be you wrong. You recalled wrong. Okay, back on track. <laughs> sure. Whatever. Still. So here's here's what makes it even more horrific for us is that nice part. We have a slight connection with these characters. So their mm-hmm. death actually carries weight and mass. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so I know that there are people who are cl- claiming that this is another Pietro uh, Quicksilver situation from WandaVision where, oh, they're just bringing that in and they tease us with it and then it doesn't matter. No, it mattered because Scarlet Witch came in, killed them, and killed characters that we have a little bit of history with now john krasinski as mr fantastic no history with him (laughs) but still it's it's fan casting and they and 
the, the, the producers followed through with it just because it's an alternate universe. I, I would say, Ben, that we do have history with it. We may not have Marvel Cinematic Universe, multi-universe history. Can we just start calling it the Marvel Cinematic Multi-Universe uh, history with it? But there is so much history with the Fantastic Four, even in just the comics. Take all the other movies out. Even in yeah. just the comics, everyone knows who the Fantastic Four are. And people know who John Krasinski is. Yes. Yes. So I want to know at what point they decide to cast <sighs> him. Was it before the fan casting? Did fan casting happen because of rumors about him? Or did rumors about him start and fan casting starts and so they cast him? I really, really want to know. I'm thinking after because here's why. When they were filming this movie during the pandemic when there were a lot of shutdowns and a lot of actors were suddenly not filming stuff. And I'm going to guess John Krasinski was suddenly available. And then this rumor started. And if you notice in that scene, you don't see those five actors in the same shot together. No. So he probably (laughs) filmed his scenes in LA, I'm going to guess. And I mean, I wouldn't be sh- I wouldn't be shocked if all of those actors, except for maybe Doctor Strange and Mordu, all the actors in that scene were filmed completely separately from each other, like in different countries. Yeah, yeah. I want to see some behind or hear some behind the scenes stuff about that. I haven't seen anything yet. Yeah. About that, I do know Emily Blunt has said she is not interested in doing superhero movies because they're all the same. Well, she's going to be cast as Sue Storm, and we both know it. <laughs> I think it's perfect. Yes. <laughs> I think so, too. And the thing is, is that when the trailer came out, Patrick Stewart came right out and denied that he was in the movie. No, he denied he was reprising his character. Oh, okay. That's right. And he also said, I heard a voice that sounded like me, and a lot of people do voices that sound like me. That's true. But they also talked about Ryan Reynolds possibly being in this movie. And he denied it too, but he also pointed out that even if he was, he would be contractually obligated to say that he was not in the movie. That Ryan Reynolds, he's a smart guy. He is, but if you take that and you you apply it to Emily Blunt, and she says, I have no interest in it, she could be lying too. She could be, she could be. But, you know, contractually, they're not contractually obligated to lie about it. They're contractually obligated not to talk about it. Like it's a non it's a non disclosure clause or whatever yeah. NDA. So and- the other thing I found really interesting is I've seen this article online, and it's actually from reputable ish news sources, not the ones that never get it right ever. The screenwriter wanted a Tom Cruise Iron Man variant, like that was a thing he pitched. So I feel like. Going back to your original question, Ben, I feel like he wanted John Krasinski to be Mr. Fantastic, and he got his wish. He, they just didn't put in an Iron Man variant. Yeah, I, and it makes you wonder, of course, what happened to the other people in those universes? What happened to Vision in all these universes? You know, the, he's gone. That's a good question. And, there's there's lots of different questions you can have, but in a two-hour movie, 
There's not enough time to do all the answers. I'm going to say that they couldn't get Paul Bettany because of the pandemic for some reason. Because the pan- pandemic did a lot, a huge number on this movie because I saw one interview with Elizabeth Olsen where she said that she had not seen a completed version of the movie and there were multiple reshoots because of the pandemic and rewrites. Yeah, and I also saw an interview with her where she talked about how she didn't, she doesn't want vision in that because it muddies the water a little bit and she pictures this Wanda as being divorced and and living as a single mom and so she does not wear a wedding ring in that universe on purpose again there's only two hours (laughs) like there's there's not enough room for everything and they crammed a lot in. Yeah. After I saw this movie, I rewatched the last three episodes of WandaVision. And in that, Agatha mentions that the ca- the spell that she cast to create Westview the way it was, was cast imperfectly. And I envisioned that in these other universes where we were seeing Wanda with her two boys, that's a universe where she did cast it perfectly and it didn't affect the people in the town the way it did we saw as we saw in the series where it only affected them and having memories of these two, of Wanda and these two boys living in the town and interacting with them it didn't necessarily change their lives in the greater whole and they were very therefore they were living their lives and hopefully content with uh how they were living and not being forced to do, to, to do things they didn't want to do yeah i Honestly, I mean, it, in the multiverse, anything's possible, right? Yeah. And so I think that these two boys for this movie in that multiverse, 838 or whatever, that they were real. How? I don't know. <laughs> but it's also possible Vision's alive at that universe as well. Yeah. Because, you know, she was she pictured it as a situation where she's separated from Vision. So... I don't know. I just, here's the thing. This is what really bothers me though, is Scarlet Witch. Okay. Wanda, she is focused on getting control, absolute control of the multiverse and for it to have the boys. And she's like preemptively going to be, I I described it to Stuart as a preemptive helicopter parent. You know, where she, when she has the power of the multiverse, she can protect them from everything because there's going to be a universe that has the solution out there. And she is willing to take children away from their mother. She is willing to kill people who get in the way. She's willing to take a family and kill Mr. Fantastic and cause Sue to go through the same pain that Wanda has gone through yeah, of losing the spouse. And it's just, she's become almost completely in my mind, not redeemable. I mean, she has chosen to do all these things and her penance. I don't think it's enough that she was like, well, I caused all this. So I'll just destroy the dark hold. I'll close it. And I might die in the process, but I might not. 
And she pops up as just a good guy in the next movie. I'm going to have a hard time with that for sure. Yeah. I feel like we don't need to see. I love Elizabeth Olsen. She's wonderful and she's gorgeous. I don't want to see her in a movie until a long time down the road. Bring her back in something that matters. Bring her back in a way that matters. If that's another Doctor Strange movie, fine. But, like, she doesn't need to be part of Avengers. No. I can see her coming in in a later movie where the multiverses are starting to smush and collide and and, and an alternate universe Wanda comes in. One that is not Scarlet Witch level, but one that wants to rebuild and fix things. I can see that happening. Yeah, I can too. I mean, because once you do that once, you can do it for whoever you need to. If a character goes too far off the path, kill them and bring in another one that's back on the path. And that's the thing I don't like about the multiverse. Right. Yeah. Is right. it? There are so many storytelling outs. I guess, for lack of a better term, you can undo anything. anything. Yeah. Yeah. You can undo anything if you're not careful. Now, if you play it safe and you create rules that that really limit what you're able to do, then good. I, I can appreciate that and mild excursions here or there. You know, Spider-Man is a great example of a mild incursion where you have these two characters that we know come from another universe, have their adventure, character arcs all around, yay, and then they go back. That's cool. But if you're going to use this to bring Tom Cruise Iron Man in just so you can have another Tony Stark, I don't like that. No. I also don't like the idea of doing it with Black Widow. Like, her death means so much to Hawkeye, to Thor, to Bruce Banner, to, you know, how many people in the universe? Yeah, the entire MCU universe. Yelena, you know, how many people that we're setting up, how many characters that we're setting up, does her death mean a lot to? And if you suddenly bring her back, it's like, yay, she's back. And she doesn't remember me, but we'll fix that. It's okay. No, don't do that. Don't do that. No, so we have to trust that they've got these keys to the kingdom. Are they going to use them in a responsible manner? Because with great power comes great responsibility. I thought you were (laughs) going to say macaronis. Oh, That too. (laughs) (laughs) With great power comes great macaronis. That's true. With hot sauce. So <laughs> earlier, <laughs> earlier you were saying that some directors or some, you know, one of the criticisms of the MCU is that it doesn't have a defining, it feels bland or whatever. And then the, the things get laid on top of that, you know, like Ryan Coogler directing Black Panther gets laid on top of this bland thing. And it has, you know, a very interesting vision. What I think is a better way to say that is Kevin Feige has this, he's set the table and he's allowed all these people to come in and create dishes, but the table always goes kind of back to where it was. And I think a lot has to be said to Kevin Feige. And I think he knows the rules 
about this. And he's not going to bring in Scarlett Johansson just because he wants more movies out of her. Yeah, I agree. For the most part, Feige has conducted the entire MCU beautifully. And he knows what works. And he and he'll most of the time put a stopper to something that won't work. Yeah, but then there's some missteps and there's some people yeah. who call this movie a misstep. You know, this is it's got the second lowest audience ranking score from uh whatever it's not Rotten Tomatoes, but it's the one where they actually pull people coming out of the theaters. It has the second lowest score of of that for any MCU movie. Ah. And you have people like Stuart and like Evan who this is their jam, you know, this is their thing. And, you know, Stuart, you're on a podcast where you've done literally a couple hundred episodes about this, this universe and, and it's, it's not hitting. And, and I understand it. Here's the thing though. All these negative things that I seem to be saying are all being said in the best way possible, because this is the reaction I think they want us to have. They want us to look at Wanda and say, no, no, not Wanda. We want her to have peace. And it looked like she was going to have peace. It looked like she was going to be okay. And then we see the cycle of abuse that we've talked about before that's happening here, where she had to deal with the things that happened because of Tony Stark, the things that happened because of of uh, Thanos, the things that happened because of then herself and Westview. She was continuing that cycle. And here she goes again, continuing that cycle of abuse, not taking care of her pain in a healthy way. And instead of reaching out to other people for help, she pulls inward and the she has a dark hold the dark hold has her and so is it the character arc we want i hope no one wanted that you know in, in the <laughs> sense that that's, that's pretty terrible is it the character arc that we need not necessarily but is it a character arc that works and causes for thought and conversation and for honestly, in some ways, surprise and and horror, yeah, it is. And 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 so, yeah, that's kind of my final word on on Wanda is it's not good, but it's not good in the best way possible. And I hope that it, I hope that we get a chance to sit with it for a while. I don't want her to be redeemed. And moving on to creating the X-Men in the next movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm curious how this fits into House of Harkness as yeah. a series, which is coming, you know? House of Harkness? I wonder if that's House of M. Well, I don't know. We'll find maybe out. She, maybe it's No More Witches, right? Right. Because that could be an interesting development is her working toward redemption and taking things too far, you know, like that, where she's like becomes a punisher. I feel like Wanda doesn't necessarily deal in absolutes in the way that we understand it, but she has a very strict, everything needs to revolve around her feelings. I know maybe that's not the right way to say that. 
Her feelings influence every decision she makes. I guess that's a way, a better way to put that. She's a reactive person. Very much so. Yeah. But she's also, yeah, she retreats into herself and then she puts herself first. And, you know, Strange points it out. He's like, the, that justification is what our enemies use. You know, and then she's like, well, you make decisions like this and you're a hero, but I make decisions. No, 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 no. He doesn't make decisions like this. He's not going through and just killing anyone who gets in his way because of a goal that he has. She is. Yeah. yeah. Can we talk about America? Yeah, let's talk. We, we got some characters here to talk about. Let's talk about America. I loved her. Me too. Breath of fresh air. Great actress. Yes. Great actress for the character. Like she's got the sense of wonder, the sense of awe, the sense of mm-hmm. a little bit of uh attitude. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe she would be chosen to be a a, a mining war from Power Ranger because she's a teenager with attitude. <laughs> yeah. She's not a hero in a half shell? No. No. That's a turtle. She's not a turtle. <laughs> oh, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> she would make a good April though. I love her visual, the special effect that went with her. It wasn't just like this amorphous, like, oh, look, we're going to like have this blurry sort of tunnel thing she goes through. No, it's a star. It's very. It's it's the Puerto Rican star. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I do wonder what we saw of her universe. I mean. I'm not sure what her universe was like, but apparently there's a Puerto Rico in that universe. Unless she ended <laughs> up in Puerto Rico in another universe and is just like, I really like this place. And geographically, this is where I come from. But her universe looked like a science fiction utopia. Not modern day America, modern day Puerto Rico. So I, I, I find I want to know the backstory there. And I wish we had the prelude comic. Yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, I don't. I just want her to be this like shining star. She was a breath of fresh air for this movie and for the MCU as it is. Because let's be honest, the stuff we've gotten off the MCU, Spider Man No Way Home, outside of that, has been kind of dark. You know, Black Widow was dark. It was happy and fun at some points, but it was still kind of like heavy, right? Yeah. Moon Knight dark. is heavy. Yeah. Hawkeye, Hawkeye is, eh. is a little bit lighter, but it, it still dealt with some heavy things, you know? Whereas this America Chavez is just a person who, who can jump through universes and doesn't have a whole lot of baggage with her. We're going to be able to get to know her. Without anything else. Now that I think about it, she's a little bit like the overall Hawkeye series where you do see this optimistic front, but you dig a little deep and there's a lot going on underneath. She's lost yeah. her mothers. She's there's lost her universe. There's a tragic backstory there's, for everyone. Yeah. yeah, she's she can't find her own universe. She doesn't dream, so there that means that she's the only one across the multiverses. I mean, so she's lonely in that respect. She's not lonely in the end because she gets to join the um, sorcerers. I can't wait for her and Ned to meet. That would be so much fun. I can't fun. wait for her and Kate Bishop. 
That's going to be fun. Yeah, that would be fun. That'd be just as much fun. So, yeah, they, they, they've set her up as this kind of positive force, you mm-hmm. know, and, you know, the she's got the visual thing going on. She's got the attitude going on. But the attitude is not disrespectful. It's just, you know, she's got a sense of humor and she doesn't trust Dr. Strange at first. Why? Because Dr. Strange is going to take her powers. Yeah. And... But I did really appreciate the climax where, first of all, Doctor Strange kind of does his whole arc of, okay, I'm not going to be the one who holds the scalpel for this one. I'm going to encourage the younger generation here. And then America goes and is like, I'm going to give you what you want. I'm going to let you see your children. Mm-hmm. And, and it's traumatic. Like, that was hard. But it was needed because this is what I was thinking the whole time. And they they bring it up. What are you going to do with with the other you? You know, those kind of things. But uh, her children, once she kills her (laughs) other self, she killed their mother. She's creating and continuing that cycle of abuse that's going to either result in other Wanda with a vendetta against her or is going to end up with the boys with a vendetta against her, or is going to end up with Sue Sue Richards with a vendetta against her. Like, there's just so many things that she's doing here that, again, works. But, yeah, there's there's lots of potential consequences here. And so she stops. <laughs> And decides to destroy the Darkhold, not just in our 616 Earth, but in all the universes. Darkhold, it's gone forever, all around. Did I see that she got rid of all of the copies? Yeah, that's what that's what Doctor Strange, that's what he inferred from seeing that the one in whatever universe third eye Doctor Strange was in, that disintegrates. Right. As she destroys the building. And so the, the, the impression is she's destroyed them all in every universe. Yeah. All right. Except for the one in the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. universe, because that either counts or doesn't count, depending on who you ask. <laughs> well, if you ask me, the one in the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. universe is pre-branch. So it is the same one. Or it's oh. a second one in the 616. Yeah. If you ask me, which you didn't specifically, but you kind of threw a question out there that I took the opportunity to answer. Well, thank so, you, Ben. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, I prefer the design on the Dark Cold from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. over the one that we saw in this movie. Because I like the idea that you can flip it and it still says Dark Cold. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm calling it now. Agnetha Harkis is going to have another copy of the Dark Cold. Or another similar book or something. I don't know. Yeah. Or a husband. <laughs> <laughs> we, we'll have to wait and see on that, mouth. Samantha. Yeah. We'll wait and see on that. Yeah, we'll wait and see. Want to talk about Wong now? Yeah. I have two big notes about Wong. One is massive head trauma. That poor guy <laughs> gets thrown around and hits his head. Against a car, on a stone step, 
and then falls off a cliff. We don't see him hit his head, but I feel like he probably hit his head on his way down there. Um, but I have a problem with Wong. So you guys go ahead and say some stuff about Wong, but <laughs> I got an issue with this dude. I felt like when Wong was climbing up the steps, I'm going to make a stupid joke and then I'll let you talk, Samantha. I felt like when Wong was climbing up the, the, the mountaintop, there should have been a rope that was thrown down to him. And then somebody said, you shall reach the top. I swear on my father's sword. <laughs> as he was climbing the cliffs of insanity in the as, of madness. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Go for it, Samantha. I really don't have a note on him. <laughs> oh i thought you had something to say i i mean i love wong and i want wong to be in everything and the more wong the better if it's not wong it's not right (laughs) i am so glad he's still the sorcerer supreme i was afraid that they were going to take away from him in this movie right but i do have a problem yes what's your problem why in the world did he take her there? I get it. He's saving lives. And the only thing I could think of is that he's like, you know, as he's doing the mathematics, right? The grand calculus. As he's doing that, he's thinking, okay, as long as I'm taking her there, we still have time because where there's life, there's hope, so to speak, right. you know? But at the same time, like, he was the only one who knew where it was. And as soon as he took her there, like she's going to be able to continue with her murdering murderer who murders schemes. I know why he took her there because the writers couldn't think of a better way to get her there. (laughs) Well, I, I mean, I, I agree with Ben. He took her there so that he could, you know, is it better to piss off a god or is it better to give the god what they want? If the god is going to kill lots of people, no matter what happens. Because, see, that's that's the thing. Everything that happened after he took her there, like, kind of gets traced back to him in the sense that without taking her there, she couldn't have gone and done the dream walking. She couldn't have killed Reed Richards and agent Carter and, and Dr. Or professor X, you know, she couldn't have done any of that stuff. Now, granted he saved the lives of those four sorcerers who were there. And potentially if she had gone through them, she might've started just going through the rest of the world. You would have hoped that maybe she would have realized that, committing genocide was the way of Thanos and not the way of her. But yeah, it, it's, you're right, Samantha though. Like that's, that's a big part of it is they needed to get her there and he needed to be there too for the, the finale. So there it is. Though Stuart, you called, you referred to Wanda as a goddess or a God. Yeah. And if you look at that temple, they sort of have, the Scarlet Witch and sort of in, the look is influenced by the goddess Kali, who is a Hindu goddess. And she is not only the goddess of chaos, she's also the goddess of motherhood, which works well for this movie. 
I on that I found it very funny that this was released over Mother's Day weekend. Yeah, yeah, yeah that was <laughs> funny <laughs> with a question mark. <laughs> with a big question, maybe like three big question marks at the end. Yeah, I was like, is this on purpose? This seems really, really close to be on purpose. You know, now that you mention it, it would have been more appropriate to put Thor Love and Thunder this weekend because Chris Hemsworth. Because, you know, he's a hunky hunk. But, yeah. Are you saying that all mothers would want to see a hunky hunk? Yeah. I don't, yeah. Okay. Why not? Because <laughs> the movie's not done yet. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, speaking of that, Natalie Portman, like, do you remember? Well, I remember talking about this, but you weren't on the podcast with me. So I don't know if you remember this or not, but I remember hearing it probably. We watched the, like, these, some of the preview stuff and the interviews with Chris Hemworth and Natalie Portman, and she's sitting next to him, and she is just like, she's as big as his arm. You know? <laughs> like, she's just this tiny, tiny little person sitting next to this huge buff person. I am very curious if the muscles on her are hers. Like, did she train for that? Cause she is buff looking like those biceps are amazing. <laughs> when she's standing there with that hammer, I'm really, really curious. I'm sure she did. But the thing is the other thing too, the, the dark thing under the world of CGI and everything is that they tend to now take actors and make them look more superhero-y than they are in real life. I mean, even at their most buff, they make them even look buffer or skinnier or curvier or whatnot. I want to see some of the press junkets and see what she looks like sitting next to him now. Like, is she still... I mean, I don't think we're going to get any press junkets. We haven't even gotten a trailer yet. Yeah. The other problem, too, is that I've also seen headlines saying that Chris Hemsworth is bulkier compared to the previous movies, <laughs> that he's put on more muscle. Yeah, he, he's he's looking good, too. So, I mean, if you want to go by ratio, she might have bulked up, but he's bulked up, too. So she probably <laughs> still looks like the size of his arm. Well, uh, we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. Phenomenal cosmic power. Yeah. So we've talked about everybody else. Have we talked about the titular character yet? No, we have not. We have not. We get to see multiple versions of him. All of them are pretty arrogant. And all of them have issues with Christine. And a big question that keeps coming up when you're looking at his arc is, are you happy? And it's a little bit on the nose along with turning water to wine, but they, <laughs> they say it often. Are you happy? Are you happy? Are you happy? And he keeps saying yes. And then third eye, Dr. Strange says, well, of course I said, yes, that's what you're going to say, you know, but, and I think that might be one of the things that kind of helps push 616 Dr. Strange into like actually looking for genuine happiness or whatever. But I find it interesting that they keep asking that question. And then I feel like they didn't, I mean, Wong gave him an answer about being happy and looking for happiness and being together. You know, we're, we're not going to be happy all the time, but we're going to be together, you know, and that's, that's nice. And I love the friendship that they have there. 
that's a strong friendship. I, I really appreciate what they've built that into, but yeah, that's one of the things where that's definitely a on the nose part of his character arc. Yeah. And then he meets his new girlfriend at the end. Clea. So post credit, that is Clea. Which I know nothing about other than her name, and she's played by Charlize Theron. <laughs> I, those, those are the only two things I know about it. <laughs> those are the only two things that you need to know as far as the movies are concerned. But in the comics, she's actually Dormammu's niece or daughter. I can't remember, but I think it's I think it's niece. I don't think it's actual daughter. But yeah, she is this thing that was supposed to take over the universe and and rule after Dormammu is gone, but she turns to the side of good with Doctor Strange. She actually, I think, currently in the comics is a Sorcerer Supreme. If she's not now, she was recently, but I think she still is. And she and Doctor Strange get married, and it's Aww. it's one of those, you know, Superman and Lois Lane, and you know, Mary Jane and Peter Parker. It's one of those kind of relationships where that's a defining relationship for Doctor Strange. It's not always perfect, and it's not always there, but it is a, a big part of his story. So if you're a big Doctor Strange fan, you saw this Clea person, Charlize Theron, and you're like, oh, oh, cool, 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 right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And if you're a Doctor Strange fan, you were thinking that whatever the woman it was who used to be on like 90210 or whatever from WandaVision, the, the blonde who was like leading the, the neighborhood meeting or whatever. Oh yes. They were talking about her thinking, Oh, this is Clea. This is definitely Clea. And it mm. wasn't, but Clea was in the wings waiting to come out and ready for the third Dr. Strange movie. Also going to be produced by Scott Derrickson. That's not true. I don't know anything. I don't think there's even been one announced. Uh, more than likely, he would be a producer on it because he was involved in the creating of right of stuff. So I feel like that's as much as his producer credit is is gone to. Is there anything but else? Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, there's a lot. I think we talked about the big things. One of the things we find out is about their sister, the sister that Doctor Strange had, but we don't talk about Donna. I just wanted to we throw that in there. That's what I thought of. When, when bad Dr. Strange says, we don't talk about her, do we? Oh. But one thing I liked about that, that scene, and it, it's just really a style choice, was that the 616 Dr. Strange chose to use music notes to defeat the other one. And... The interesting thing about music is that it it's one of the few things in life that activates both sides of the brain at the same time. It just lights up both sides like crazy. And when you're dealing with patients with dementia or other sort of like overwhelming neurological issues, if you play music that they like, they will sort of like come out from under that fog and you can see them again. I loved that scene. It was stylistically incredible, right? Yeah. To see the notes come off the screen and be used as weapon. Loved it. I don't know if it made any sense in the movie. I'm sitting there going, huh, this is cool. 
but it feels like it's an episode of something else dropped into this. I I liked that scene because it felt like he was using the music to fight through whatever dark thing was going on with him mentally. I really like it because it reminded me of one of the greatest magic battles of cinema history. And that is from the sword in the stone where you have them turning into I the different knew animals. You were going to say that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's this battle between them. They're turning into different animals They're fighting each other. And then he wins by turning into a germ and making her sick, you know, and it's, <laughs> but it's, it's just the magic that they use in that is magic that, you know, this is just the style that we're using here. And, and with the music here, it's, you know, it was visually represented. And so that's, that's one thing that might take people out of it is, you know, the f- musical notes are flying around or whatever, but I did, I adored it. I really, really enjoyed it. And I know this is a problem. Some people have with it. They think it's weird or, or dumb or whatever. And you know what? They're not wrong. It is weird. It is different, but that's the whole movie. And this is the one battle. This is the one big magic battle that we get. I mean, there's the the creature at the beginning, but yeah, it's 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 kind of exciting unless you're totally thrown out of it because it's it's magic music. But it's Takata and Fugue in D minor, and it's uh, oh, what's the other piece that's being used in there? Honestly, it would have made more sense if it was Chuck Mangione's "Feel So Good." I'm not even I'm not even kidding because that was the move that was the song that he picked in the very first movie. It felt like if music is such a big part of his life I don't know what was the sheet music exactly? What was the title on it? I don't know. The other piece was Beethoven's Fifth. Dun, 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 oh, and then the royalty free version. <laughs> and that yeah, and that Takata and Fugue in D minor is the the big organ one that you know plays in in horror movies and stuff. And yeah, that one is it's it's usually something about evil and bad. So is that royalty free as well? Yes, they're okay. both very old. They're definitely public domain. Okay. So that's probably why they chose those pieces because sure. they didn't have to pay a penny. No, they're Disney. They can make a bajillion dollars and they can pay whatever they want to whoever they want. Yeah, they could have used anything. Yes, you're right. They, they could have, used but music is also one of the, it can be potentially one of the most expensive parts of a production. Not denying any of that. And these movies still have a budget that they have to meet. So, I mean, they may not have been able to afford that bit because they had to to pay Benedict Cumberbatch and Elizabeth Olsen and Patrick Stewart and John Krasinski and everybody else that showed up. There's definitely a lot of money being spent in this movie. Oh, yes. Oh, and also you have to pay the CGI people to make the magic. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yep. Let's see here. The music battle was one of my notes. Um, when Wanda takes possession of other Wanda, I thought it was fascinating that briefly for a split second as she kind of, oh, I've got the body. Okay, I'm in here now. And then she breaks the fourth wall and looks right at the camera, looks right at us. 
I must have looked down and was typing a note into my phone. I missed that. It's a split second. It's right there in that kitchen. And I saw both times. I was like, oh, I'm positive that that was not just she's turning her head and paused at the wrong time. Like she's, that was intentional. To what end, Ben? I I think to pull us in, like she's looking through the universes and she's actually looking into our universe, you know, and she's, Hmm. and also that's something you do in a horror movie. You know, you use a lot of perspective shots in a horror movie and and they do that here. You know, when she comes in before she takes possession, she's like, we see her POV as she's moving from side to side and hiding behind the, the stairs and and then it switches over to other Wanda's POV. And that's something that happens a lot in horror movies where the the monster that's chasing, you actually end up in their POV. And it's interesting because there's a lot of film theory about why they do that. And it, it ratchets up the tension because you can see the person who's running away and how close the bad guy or the bad thing is getting to that person. But at the same time, it's also putting you in the perspective of that terrible creature. And, and so there are, you know, there's film theory about why is this so effective and to be in the position, the POV of the killer, of the murdering murderer who murders. And they definitely play up Wanda in this as, you know, a Michael Myers or a Jason. She is the creature that is relentless and is just coming and won't stop coming. And you get that, especially in that the catacombs kind of a, a scene where they're running through the tunnels and everything under the river. Oh yeah. And, and she's chasing after them and you, you especially get that movie monster vibe from that scene. Yeah. Cause they're um, America and Dr. Strange are running at top speed and Wanda's just sort of walking, uh-huh. but she can somehow keep up with them. Walking barefoot. Walking barefoot. Yeah. Yeah. And, and keeping up with them. Other Wanda, by the way, you know, when she gets home, she's going to have some, some cuts on her feet. She needs some uh, creams and stuff to and tetanus shots. Well, she, she's, she's magic, so there. she can just snap her fingers and it's not a problem. She'll just go get Harrow's shoes. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> we also get Chekhov's corpse. You know, oh, you put, yeah. Put a corpse under the ground in the first act. You better use it in the third act. Yeah. That was, that was kind of some clever storytelling there i think that's that's word for word what he said right about corpses yes yeah Yeah. (laughs) uh sorry check off (laughs) captain (laughs) yeah we don't talk about Chekhov's phaser all that often but and so thematically there's one thing that they brought up and i find it something I have to wrestle with because of all the things I've said about Wanda up until this point where it said, just because someone stumbled and loses their way, doesn't mean they're lost forever. And this is, you know, when you look at Wanda and all the things that she did, she, yeah. Towards the beginning, they talk about Westview and and she says, I, I put things right in Westview. And, and Strange says, that was never in doubt. And then you realize, oh, we should be doubting. But all the terrible things that she did. Is she lost forever? Well, man, if you look at 
you know, the spiritual side of things that I come from, I believe that no one is lost forever. Like everyone can be redeemed. But then I look at Wanda, I'm like, oh man, <laughs> that's a person who is fictional, but I don't think I can redeem that character or forgive that character. She needs a really good therapist. <laughs> well, you're not wrong. You're not yeah. wrong, Samantha. I think with the help, with the application of a really good therapist and her, you know, really putting herself into, you know, some good cognitive behavioral therapy, I think she could be okay. But no, she went for the dark cold. So, well, the I mean, if he goes back to the 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 dependent thing, the drugs and alcohol sort of addiction thing, the the dark cold's easier, right? Yeah, she has to. What I think I would need to see from any story that involved a redemptive arc for Wanda Maximoff slash Scarlet Witch would be a desire to fix it, to change, to go back and help somebody do something. And I have been sitting here trying to think about... Where, you know, think about her story arc. You know, we saw her in Sokovia being bombed by Stark missiles that sort of put her on a path to hunt down Tony Stark. And then, you know, she kind of got co-opted by the Avengers for her power. And and as time went on, you know, heartbreak after heartbreak, sooner or later she's just going to have to come to the realization that maybe not all this heartbreak is something that can be solved and she needs to kind of sit with it for a minute. Is she going to do that? That would be the story I'd be interested in seeing. And then, you know, you get to play with some of this idea that the Scarlet Witch is, is her darker side or her human side or, you know, some other side of her that is at war with the side that wants to do good. So you kind of, make the split personality, but we did just see that in Moon Knight. So I don't know if you want to retread that. So I'm not really sure where we get to see Wanda again. Yeah, I don't either. I don't either. I don't know. But yeah, I'll, I'll just say that as much as, you know, we want to say people can have redemption and that kind of thing. If you are, someone who's one of those links in an abusive chain and you want to be the one who says it stops here. It, you've got to get help. You've got to get help and you don't go it alone. Just don't go it alone, but don't turn to your abuser. Your abuser can be redeemed potentially, but that's not your job. You've got to deal with your pain and you've got to, let yourself find healing and and look for help elsewhere with people who know what they're talking about and know what they're doing and, and who can who can help you but that's that's the one big thing i keep coming back to is just yeah all those different things like you were talking about Stuart with all the different pain points that were coming her way and she never got to have the life that she felt she deserved and felt she wanted and and then when she finally did have it presented to her, 
she realized the things she was doing to get it were wrong and she had to step back but more than that she realized that she herself was terrorizing the boys yeah which i think that's what i appreciate about that yeah i really appreciate that they went there and allowed her to see that and and then also have that be a point of change for her because she sees it it freaks her out and then she she decides to do something different yeah and i yeah. but the i think that was the only but, thing that was going to get her out of that out of the grips of the dark hold oh absolutely the thing about it is though if she doesn't do a lot of that work to heal, she's just going to fall into something else again. Yeah. Whether it's the Darkhold 2.0 or, you know, a bunch of rings and a gauntlet, who knows, right? It could be anything they want because it's a comic book. But one of the things the MCU does done very well is allow characters to have moments of healing that are feeling natural and realistic and this would be a perfect one for her if they're going to do that yeah if they are uh she became thanos where she did i have the thing that i want it's going to solve the problems of the universe that i see and i'm not going to let anything get in my way to my end game my end goal and Speaking of Thanos, I did not notice the first time I watched, but the second time I saw dead Thanos in 838. And I don't know how I missed it, but that was. Yeah. Isn't that when they, when they, when they're doing the backstory. Yeah. When, yeah. when they, uh, when the 838 when... Illuminati uh, describe how uh, Dr. Strange in their universe passed away. Yeah. Yeah. And I did not notice him, which <laughs> the second time I was like, oh, he's there and he's dead. All right. I did notice they were on Titan. Mm-hmm. I noticed that, that set decoration. Yeah. That was kind of cool. I did. It was a. I did notice that Anthony Mount got a line. Finally. <laughs> but that's how they use him in the comics is he's, he says things, but it's only of great import. And so the moment it, that was just a lovely comic book moment for me where he's, he says, sorry. So he's the silent Bob of the comic book. Yes. <laughs> yes. And no, I mean, silent. Silent Bob doesn't he, he kill says people things with that are, his words. Yeah. And he says things that are important. There, there's a moment in, in a comic that I had when I was a kid where he, Crystal is deciding if she wants to go with the Fantastic Four or or not and, and stay with the Inhumans. And so he takes her, they're on the moon, and he takes her to the, the very edge of the blue area of the moon where the atmosphere that they have is very, 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 very thin. And he standing in front of her and he just says, stay. But because the atmosphere is so thin it just knocks her back like 20 or 30 feet. And, but it's just, he'll, he waits for these moments that need to be, need to be spoken. And yeah. It, and so this moment here reminded me of that where it's just, 
he has a job to do. He's going to use his voice to do it. But along with that, he feels horrible that he's the one who's who gets chosen to do it. I do like that there's consequences for even Stephen Strange to use the Darkhold. And one consequence is for that 838 Stephen Strange to give himself up, give up his life because he knows he's been taken by the Darkhold. Our Stephen Strange has the third eye now. And is that a good thing? A bad thing? We'll find out. Is that something he's going to have to exercise? Or is it something he's going to have to exercise and get all buff? Like Chris Hemsworth. <laughs> well, but he seems to like it because at the end, she's like, you know, Charlie Theron's like, hey, come in. We got a thing to do. And he's like, cool. Let me put on my third eye costume. And he does. And she says something about, are you afraid? And he, he's not in the least or whatever. And that's my secret. I'm always afraid. Oh, that's the wrong one. <laughs> That's my secret. I always have this third eye on my forehead now. <laughs> That's going to get like, I can't wait for that to happen with maybe a guardian or like Chris Pratt. That'd be hilarious with Peter Quill showing up. Hey dude, what's going on? <laughs> or rocket comes up to him and be like, Hey, I'm going to need your third eye. <laughs> That's going to be hilarious. All right. I don't know. I've got other some minor things in my notes, but I don't need to talk about them. Do you guys have anything else to, to talk about? Mm, no, I'm good. There's a lot. There's a lot. And we've covered a lot. We've talked a lot. And I'm sure we'll come back to some of this in the future, just in general conversation. But do you want to do a quick like rating? Oh, yeah. We didn't do a rating. How many stars? I was going to say eyes. Well, I'm going with stars, but they're not regular stars. They're universe gates. Are they stargates? How many <laughs> How many America Chavez universe gates out of out of 5? Yeah, Evan gave it 1 star. I keep oscillating between 3.75 and 4.15, so I'm just going to go with what? four. <laughs> You're going to do a solid four. Okay, yeah. Ben. Uh, on Letterboxd, I gave it four and a half stars. Oh, wow. And That's high for you. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I actually think I'm going to pull it down to four, though. And Yeah. And uh, my seven-word movie review was ambitious, heartfelt, big, but not too big. Yeah. I'm going to go three, only because I still think it's disjointed, and I still think it's it pulled me in a lot of different directions, and I don't know where I was, as if I was going through the multiverse myself. On my list of... 36 Marvel MCU movies, which, by the way, I've not added X-Men movies to this yet. Even though Patrick Stewart playing Professor X on Earth 838 was there, I don't consider that the same kind of thing uh -uh. that brought Spider-Man in. No. Because it's he's still a different universe. You might have to include the animated series, though. Well, we'll <laughs> see. We'll see. And that's something that people are speculating about is because of the, especially the music cue is the new animated stuff that'll be coming out 
the X-Men 97, will that tie into the multiverse? And if it does, then it would retroactively bring along with it the the 92 series. But uh, I gave it, I put it in the fifth spot. Ahead of, I mean, behind what? Well, I, I don't, I think I'm going to have to move it after seeing it the second time. I think I'm going to have to move it down a little bit lower. I have Shang-Chi is still number one. And Winter Soldier is number two. Black Panther is number three. No Way Home is number four. And then after that, I have Doctor Strange, Infinity War, Civil War, Endgame, Spider-Man 2, Captain America First Avenger, Age of Ultron, Guardians of the Galaxy, Spider-Man, Homecoming, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Ant-Man, Avengers, Amazing Spider-Man, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, Eternals, Iron Man 3, Ragnarok, Far From Home, Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man 2, Black Widow, Captain Marvel, Thor, Spider-Man 3, Venom, Venom, Let There Be Carnage, Iron Man, Thor The Dark World, Iron Man 2, Incredible Hulk, and number 36 is Morbius. Oh, you included all of those. I didn't, I wouldn't have, I mean, I guess you kind of have to now, but. This is, they are part of it now. They're part of the MCU multiverse. And I know that that's repetitive, but that's what I'm calling it. So that's my story and I'm sticking with it. All right. So you guys have any final words then? Overall, I liked it. A a movie, going to see the movie is better than not going to see the movie. I would see it again for the cameos, but... I'm. I don't know where it plays out in my overall MCU hierarchy. So yay! I would like to thank our Patreon patrons: Dave, Julie, Blessed Cheesemaker, O Eight Four, Tazzle, Jeffrey, and Andrew. Thank you all so very much. Tazzle. <laughs> and I just want to say to everyone, thank you so much for joining us to talk about this, and. Yeah, send in your feedback for sure. And, you know, if you wanted to get early access to some of these episodes, join us on Patreon, the lowest ranking, $1 a month. And you can get access to extra material, mostly, almost exclusively at this point, early access to unedited episodes. But no matter who you are, whether you listen to this podcast and are a Patreon patron, or are you listening because you just like to listen, or if you're listening for the first time ever, or if you're you're hate listening, no matter who you are, I just want to say to you, dear listener, I love you in every universe. Thanks for listening to Welcome to Level 7. You've heard from us, now we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us voicemail by calling 1-775-5-LEVEL-7. That's 1-775-553-8357. Or send us an email to studioavery at gmail.com. You can also go to welcometolevel7.com slash feedback and leave us a message there. Or join us on our Facebook group, facebook.com slash welcometolevel7. The 7 is spelled out. 
And don't forget, if you'd like to support the podcast, you can go to patreon.com slash welcome to level seven, the seven is spelled out, and become a Patreon supporter there. Once again, thanks so much for listening and Godspeed. It's over!